Welcome. We are so glad that you are here. We are excited to worship together tonight. My name is Lindsay Jacoby, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet. We are wrapping up our series in Joshua tonight. It's called Get Going. So we are going to be in Joshua chapter 4 tonight. And I will read that in just a minute. But before we do that, I'd love for you to go to the Lord in prayer with me. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. I'll pick up in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. Picking up in verse 18. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before as until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jack. Well, good evening, Kairos. I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Well, bless his holy name. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. 
And I just want to say thanks for making the switch with us from Tuesday nights to Sunday nights. Hopefully that's starting. Ooh, forgot I had this. Hang on. I'll get to that in 18 minutes, okay? Um, I, I know it's trying to figure out rhythm, school, maybe kind of digitally, in person. Who knows? We're all trying to get back in the swing of things. But I just want to congratulate you. Hey, you made it here tonight. Uh, I want to honor that commitment. I know it's no small feat that people gather in this room. Uh, and I want to acknowledge your dignity and your presence and the fact that you are made in the image of God. My job tonight is simply to call us to worship and call attention to the God who was and is and is to come, to remember who he's been, who he is right now in your life, and the promises that he's calling us to live into. Uh, one of the things I love about this congregation is Cairo started out as a ministry towards young adults, and now no one listens to us. Um, it doesn't matter what age you are, you're allowed in here, and I love it, okay? It's probably more like young slash adults. If you're young or an adult, you're all welcome. Um, so whether you're 8 or 80 or anywhere in between, we're so glad you're here. I heard a baby crying before. That makes me so happy. Um, one, because I remember I'm not in that season of life anymore, and it give, makes me give thanks to the Lord above. Um, but that's just... I can remember having a little kid in a worship service, and we took it out one time. It, its name was Simon. Um, it is now 15. That's weird. And uh, I had an older couple pull us aside and said, don't you dare take that baby out of this worship service. They're just praising God. That's one of the beauties of family, that no matter where we are in our season of life or our stage of faith, we have come to acknowledge and the worship our God, who if we call upon his name, he is near. And I had a great reminder of this a couple weeks ago. So sitting right over that table where Jacoby's sitting was none other than Piper Morris. Piper Morris is the three-year-old daughter of Matt Morris, one of our worship pastors. She was there with Debo, her grandmother. I don't know if you're allowed to say the word grandmother anymore, okay? Normally you have to like say Mimi or Nana or some kind of abbreviation that doesn't say the word grandmother. Or at least that's what our grandmothers tell us. Okay. So anyway, I go over to say hi to Piper. She's precious. She's precocious. She's so cute. You want to eat her cheeks with a spoon. It just looks like marshmallow fluff. Like you just can't help but to engage with her. Well, we engage in what most conversations with a three-year-old are like. It's nonsensical. We're just batting phrases back and forth. There's no coherence to the conversation whatsoever. And that makes it even funner for me, right? Because I don't have to really intellectually engage. I'm just batting phrases back and forth. Well, we're ratcheting each other up till finally she says, tiny power, go big. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> tiny power, go big. And I felt like that was a word from the Lord straight for me, from a three-year-old. I just felt like Piper prophesied over me. Like, <laughs> I'm getting ready to preach and you said, tiny power, go big. And I'm, uh, I look at Debo for like an interpretation from tongues. And grandmothers do this. They, they know what their kids are or grandkids are talking about, so they interpret. She's talking about Polly Pockets. And I'm like, I've never heard of this author. <laughs> and... Uh, She's like, no, it's one of her favorite shows that she's watching right now. And Polly Pockets, their tagline is tiny power, go big. I'm like, regardless. I said, Piper, can you pray that over me every time before I preach? And I kid you not, with love and compassion and sincerity in her eyes, she said no. <laughs> and she went back to eating her McDonald's french fries. So I did ask her if she would share one, and she obliged. So great job on parenting. That's awesome. 
But that stuck with me, um, especially as I've been reading through this text and was sitting down to think about uh, what the Lord might want to say to us tonight. I don't know about you, but I need a God who's going to take my tiny power and go big. If I had my way, I probably would go back and rename our series. So we've been marching through Joshua 1, 2, 3, and 4, and we called it Get Going. I might call it Tiny Power Go Big, right? Joshua chapter 1, Moses' tiny little intern, Tiny Power Go big, fill the shoes of Moses. I need you to be very courageous and strong as I lead you into the promised land. And in a sense, we remembered, hey, we always say yes to God because he's always promising us his best. Joshua chapter two, tiny power go big. We see incredible tiny power coming out of a tiny little prostitute who's living between the walls trying to find a way to provide for her family. And we were reminded to show mercy because everyone you meet is fighting a fierce battle. And that when we show mercy, it moves us and it moves God. Tiny power, go big. Chapter three, which was last week, the priests or the Levites step in when the soles of their feet touch the rushing and raging waters of the flooded Jordan River. Immediately, 19 miles upstream, the water begins to pile up, but they have to stand still in their tiny power and their skinny legs, bracing against the current of the Jordan for God's evidence of his work to move its way downstream. And I think tonight, even with our tiny lives, what seems like tiny problems sometimes or tiny finances or the tiny margin in our schedule, or if we're really honest, the tiny faith that we have? What if God wants to go big? What if he wants to do infinitely more than we can possibly hope, think, dream, or imagine? What if he's weaving a centuries-long miracle through the tapestry of your life and your family and your current circumstances? What if he is remarkably at work, even if you are unaware of it? What would you have the faith to do if you knew those things to be true? I think it's time for our tiny power to go big. And tonight, I just want to talk to you about this, and straight from the text. It's mark your miracles. Don't forget to remember. So I think it's important because if we see in the text here, the first thing they do as soon as they get across the Jordan is they go back, they get 12 stones, and the Lord is going, hey, when people ask about you, you need to remember this event. It's going to be pretty important for you. Now, the second I say to you guys, mark your miracles, don't forget to remember, you may be nodding, but we have a couple problems, don't we? Because in this room, there's four objections to that statement. One, we don't believe in miracles. That's just something God did long ago. Two, we believe in them, but we don't think we deserve them. Three, we believe in them, and we think they happen, but we're unaware of them. Four, even when we believe in miracles, even when we think we deserve them, and even when we see them happen, we forget them. And the next problem or the next impending challenge, immediately we start to face it with a sense of fear instead of faith. Perhaps, ladies and gentlemen, I would submit to you, maybe the reason we're so fearful today is because we're so forgetful. The God who has worked consistently through your life, through my life, and through the pages of history is still wanting to go big and show off his glory and his goodness in the mundane and miraculous ways 
even in our lives. Now, so let's take a look at the text. I don't know if you caught this. One of the things I'd love for us to do is have a dialogue with the text. You just listen to an entire chapter of scripture. That's awesome. And one of the things that we do when we're processing scripture in our small groups is, hey, what stuck out to you? Like a lot of times the Holy Spirit will let you like zoom in on something. The way it works for me is a lot of times I draw question marks on it. Like what does that mean? And here's what I had a problem with is there is a sense of urgency from God and seemingly idiocy from God in this moment. Now, how dare you say that, Chris? Well, we're friends, so we can talk like that sometimes. I'm like, Lord, what, what's the deal here? They, they just spent 40 years. This miracle is like 40 years in the making, right, to get into the promised land. They have thousands and thousands of miles they've covered. The, finally, the Jordan River stops up. They've walked a mile across trying to get 100,000-plus people, conservative estimates, across there, right? You got the priests or the Levites holding it. Their shoulders are burning. As you're a kid, you pass by, and one of them's saying, hold ark, hold ark, not hold door, hold ark, okay? You just keep holding it, and you'll get it, and you can make it over. And then finally, when the last person steps across the Jordan River on dry ground, what does the Lord say? Go back. What? Do you realize how long we've been waiting to get here and get going and move forward? Let's go. We ain't got time to go back, Lord. He says, no, go back. I get 12 men from your tribes who do CrossFit and get them to heft big rocks because they're posting it uh, on all of the social media in the tribe of Israel, right? There's never been a CrossFitter who hasn't told you about their workout. And so he tells them, find the biggest rock you can and go from a deadlift uh, to, to a farmer carry, to a Statue of Liberty, right? And carry it with you. Where, like 20 yards? No, to the place you're going to camp. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine it's kind of like in the youth group when you go, hey, I need some strong men. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they find out what they're doing. They're like, this was a big mistake, all right? And they plop them down. And there's 12 stones stacked on each other so that they would mark their miracle. So they would remember not to forget. I love what um, Alan Verily says when he's talking about this and why it's so important for us um, to mark our miracles. 147 times the Bible says remember as an act of worship. And then he says this about the serious and spiritual act of remembering. He says, without remembering, there is no identity. And without common remembering, there is no community. You don't know who you are without a memory. We don't know who we are without commonly remembering who God is and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mark the miraculous. C.S. Lewis says it this way. The mind that asks for non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. Men and women, relapsing is not just a danger for recovering addicts. It's a danger for converted Christians in this room. And when that happens, when you forget to mark your miracles and the God who was and is and is to come is powerful and present and able to provide, it's gonna turn into religion that's bland and boring and it's cracked and Jesus would say it this way, it's an old wineskin and it can't hold the new miraculous work that I'm about to do or it'll burst. 
So when we look through that, I think um, about remembering personally who we are. You have to remember to have, in order to have an identity, and we have to common remember. So there is a community. Uh, if that's the case, then a lot of us in here, we're in danger of spiritual amnesia. Um, uh, Jacoby's mom always used to tell her when she was headed out the door in high school, remember who you are and make good decisions. Um, and I love hearing her say that to different people in our lives. Remember who you are and make good decisions. Why? Because if you remember who you are, who God says you are, where you come from, where you're going, good decisions will follow that. I don't know if any of you guys are huge fans of documentaries uh, like I am, and usually the worse the circumstances, the more hooked I am. I have to confess that. Like, I just, I can't stop watching it. Um, there was one called Tell Me Who I Am, and it is the story of two identical twins who grew up in the same household. I think it's like in England somewhere. And one of them has a motorcycle accident in his early 20s and has no memory. He has amnesia. And for some reason, the only person he actually looks at and knows that's my brother is his identical twin brother. I guess because it's kind of easy. If you look in the mirror and go, oh, that must be my identical twin. So he winds up going back home and his brother has to rebuild his memories. But here's what his brother doesn't tell him. That they grew up in an incredibly dysfunctional, traumatic, and abusive house. And his brother would say later in the documentary, if anyone could have given me the gift of forgetting that, I would have called it a miracle. And so he leaves that all out. And he weaves together a fabric of fantasy, of half-truths around portraits, and he makes up vacations. And he talks about an idealistic family that he always would have wanted but never existed for them too. His brother and them are now 20 years removed from that moment, but the brother who lost his memory knows that there's something between him and his brother. Clues begin to surface, and he knows his brother is withholding his memories from him. And he's the only person on planet Earth that can give it to him. Why? Because a part of who you are is determined by the experience, the memories that you have. And I don't know about you, I'm so glad that Scripture does us the courtesy of telling us the truth about our existence, about the trauma we've been through, about the brokenness that is a reality, about it has the courage to name good and evil. And it tells us how to decide between the two of those. It tells us that without God and without Jesus Christ, we would not know the difference. And even if we did, we would continue to choose things that break us and break other people. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ came so that a way might be repaired and that we might have our memory restored to us, that we were made in the image of God, that we were designed for community and communion with God. We were designed to be unified and to flourish in an aspect of spirituality that is for the benefit of this world. It is for the kingdom of God to be on earth as is in heaven. And too many of us have forgotten that. Without remembering, there is no identity. And without common remembering, there is no community. Which is why I love being a part of a church, an extended spiritual family. And just some of the fun ways that we continue to remember and mark our miracles. Baptism. Isn't it awesome to remember? Baptism, being a dad, baptizing your kids in a pool, 
seeing a spiritual legacy passed down or thinking about, wow, the person I'm having a gospel conversation with right now, I may be able to baptize and mark the miracle of their salvation. Lord's Supper. We come to the table, we're figuring out how to do that with germs and sanitary. We'll we'll keep you apprised. We, We have like the smartest people on planet Earth trying to figure out how we can do that. But in that, the miracle that regardless of who we are, where we came from, our last name, our color, our economic background, we come to a table together and say, brother and sister, what a miracle. At the church, we eat together, we laugh together, we mourn together, we cry together. Also that we're saying God has started this extended spiritual family and he's adopted us into sonship and daughtership. We have a common remembering of who Jesus is and what the gospel has done for us. And I'm afraid right now, church, that we're pretty close to a relapse. Forgetting why it is that we're called church, the ecclesia, the assembly in the first place. Because when we forget who God was and who he is, then we forget what he's going to be up to. Um, I remember I had an English professor. No, I'm sorry. He was literally English. He was professor in divinity school and he taught church history. Okay? That got weird real quick. Um, and I can't do a British accent, but he just thought it was ridiculous that in America you could get a theology degree without a history degree. How in the world are you going to teach people about the God who is and is to come if you don't know about the God who was? And so we've got to hold on to our common remembering, not only of how God has worked in the pages of Scripture, but how God has worked in our church, in our family, and what he has done so that we don't forget those things. I'm really scared because a lot of times when we forget how to pray and ask for the miraculous and divine intervention, then we start to sell our soul to business strategies and techniques. So hopefully we have a better bottom line rather than the kingdom of God manifesting itself through acts of self-sacrifice and service. I'm scared that... A lot of times when we commonly forget that we are an extended spiritual family, then we begin to shop out discipleship responsibilities to programs and brand recognition. I'm afraid that we're in danger of the same thing that Esau did. We're about to sell our birthright for a bowl of thin soup. And I don't know about you, but man, real quickly, if we forget who we are together, you know what we start to worship? Self-help, self-righteousness, No, I don't want to worship those things anymore. I want to trade in my self-help for God's help. I want to trade in my self-righteousness for the righteousness that can only come through Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood. And I don't want to be self-sufficient. I want to be spirit-dependent so that he can lead me and plead on behalf of me and the saints before God so that we will be unified and be able to carry out his mission and his message here on planet Earth. Mark your miracles and don't forget to remember. So the question I have for you tonight is what miracle do you need to mark in your life? What miracle have you forgotten about that you need to mark? I'm talking about miracles of not only healing, but provision. And I'm not talking about big ones. I'm talking about like, wow, 20 bucks came out of nowhere so that I could eat. Big or small, what were the miracles that you need to mark? Miracles of opportunity. Oh, that door never should have opened. I don't belong here. 
how did I wind up connecting with that person who had the same struggle I do and it was the first time I was able to talk to someone out loud about it? The miracle of opportunity and the miracle of protection. What are the miracles that have marked your life that we need you, especially in this body of believers, to remind us of? That God loves to work the miraculous in and through his people so that we will remember the rescuing, living hand of God. Uh, Once we do this, then hopefully, hopefully, we'll continue to have a soundtrack in our head of the gospel constantly playing in the background. I think it's like grooves pressed into a vinyl record. When the needle of our life gets on it, the music and the melody of the gospel is amplified because look what God has done for us, with us, and through us. So possibly the best illustration I can give you is mason jar, right? What's up, hipsters? We love them. Um, They are everywhere for everything nowadays. Um, Actually, I think they're originally for vegetables and preserving food, but now you can make a lantern, put a candle in it, uh, um, put a light bulb in it with an Edison bulb, and you're so cool, right? Um, and you can, if you drink out of it, especially apple pie moonshine, then we're just like, hey, I'm really not sure what's in there, dude. But mason jars, I got curious about them. So I went back and did a little research. And about 1850, uh, 1860, um, there was someone who was trying to figure out a, a better way. His last name was Mason, um, coincidentally, trying to figure out a better way to preserve food. Um, and what he did was two things that distinguished it in the market. One, it had a sealable top that was reusable. Um, And then two, it was in a glass so you could actually see the contents inside. And what they were talking about back then is the fact that there would be times of famine and cold winters and times when crops weren't readily available. And the mason jar was there to remind you that even in the dead of winter, you could enjoy the pleasures of summer. And that in a time of need, there would always be plenty. We have to have a mason jar for our miracles, church. We've got to have a place where we continue to mark our miracles, where we're taking notes on the blessing, the provision, the opportunity, the healing, and the redemption of God so that we do not forget who we are and whose we are. Amen? So we're going to take a... 120 seconds, and Jacoby's going to come up and lead us through a guiding prayer. And you're just going to take time to remember as an act of worship. What are those moments that you need to perfectly preserve, that you need to significantly celebrate, and that you need to remind your memory of tonight? God is a God who's worked miracles in my life.